Uh, this morning, I want to go ahead and read chapter 24. I think we're going to read the whole thing. This is the last, this is it. This is the final chapter. We've been in the Gospel of Luke now for a couple of weeks. Um, and uh, we're going we're gonna to come to an end today. And uh, I'd like to read the whole chapter at once as we close. And then we'll pray. And then this morning as we pray, I want to pray for, uh, as we pray for the other churches in our community, I want to pray for the uh, First United Methodist Church here in town. So, um, chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. It says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb and told all these things to eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And verse 11, sadly, their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, verse 13, Behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they were conversed, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this today is the third day since these things happened. Yet, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said, 
he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And that, that is key, verse 24. You might want to underline that. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, of course, Jesus who's walking with them, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And being at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as they sat at the table with him, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then, verse 31, their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they, and they said to one another, isn't this always the case afterwards? We knew it. We knew it. <laughs> you know, they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened up the scriptures to us? And I could imagine these two guys, because they're knuckleheads just like us, they're probably like, I knew it was Jesus. You didn't know. I knew. <laughs> so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about, and they, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and, he, and how he was now and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, and remember, and we'll talk about this in the other gospel accounts, but at this point, the, the disciples with the, with the apostles are gathered together, locked behind doors, right? They're afraid. And so what does Jesus say when he just, he just like pops in the middle of the room and he says this, peace, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. You know, we, we, we might skip over that, but this is very significant, this little indicator here. They knew it was Jesus who popped in the room at that point, but what they thought he was was a ghost, a spirit. And what Jesus is doing here is he's all, no, I'm resurrected into flesh. And, and that's significant in regards to, to doctrine and our, and our salvation, that, that Jesus Christ just didn't appear as an apparition. He came and returned in the flesh. And, and we know that even later that Thomas, and Luke doesn't, Luke doesn't um, state this, but Thomas who wasn't present in the room, Jesus says, go ahead, handle me, Thomas. Put your, put your finger in my, in my wound, your hand in my side. Um, it's, it's pretty cool to know that he came back resurrected from the grave, just not an apparition or, or a ghost. And so when he had said this, verse 40, he showed them his hands and his feet. By what, but, but, but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, and we might go, well, what's going on there? In other words, what, what we're being told is that, is that it seemed too good to be true. It wasn't an issue of unbelief at this point. It was just like, it just seemed too good to be true. It was before them. You've ever had that experience in your own life, and, and maybe you've received a really cool present, and it's there before you, and it's like, you can't believe it because of joy. It's too, it seems too good to be true, but yet there it is. 
And they marveled, and he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece, and what sounded, what, 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 what seemed too good to be true wasn't that he was there before them as a spirit or revealing himself to them that it was he had resurrected into bodily form. And man, that would blow your mind if, that, if it was them. It's, it was mind-blowing. And here was their Savior. And remember all the things that we had read about in this last week that they had gone through, even in those last couple days, as they'd seen Jesus arrested. They'd seen him tried and found innocent and yet sent, sentenced to death to be crucified. And then Roman scourging and then carrying the cross and walking up the, the, the road of Calvary to, uh, uh, to, to be crucified there and seeing that and then the spear put in his side and, and even the women had seen him rested in the grave and, and all these things. And so Jesus wanting them to be assured that it was him in the flesh, they, they gave him this piece of broiled fish and some honey and he took it and, and he ate it in their presence. Why? Because ghosts don't eat, I guess. <laughs> But people eat, and, and Jesus wanted them to know that he was real, that he was there. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all of these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to have to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that the repentance and the remission, literally the payment of sin, which removes the sin debt, should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, and we know later that this is speaking of the It'll be revealed that it's the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father upon them. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands. And we know that Bethany was just there on the other side of Mount Olives. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And now it came to pass while he blessed them, verse 51, that he, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven and they worshiped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen, Luke says. Let's pray. And Father, we do say amen to these things. Yes, Lord, we receive these words as truth. We believe again this morning. And Lord, um, we ask God that you would settle these things deep into our hearts that we're going to read and that we've read and that we'll study about this morning. Lord, an encouragement that you came and gave to your, your apostles and to your disciples who were, were hopeless, Lord, because of unbelief. They were in despair because of what had happened. And, and yet, Lord, you came and revealed yourself to be alive to them and also for us as they've gone forward as witnesses testifying of the things that they've seen. Eyewitness testimonies. And Lord, may we be again encouraged in our faith this morning. And we pray for our brothers and sisters at the United Methodist Church. And Lord, I, know, I don't know the name of the new pastor there yet, but I know they've, they've got a, a new pastor here in just the last few months. And as they've gone through a leadership change there, Lord, I pray you would strengthen that church. I pray, God, that the new minister there, the new pastor, would um, read your word and preach it in truth. God, that there would be no variance to the right or to the left, that um, the people there would grow in their knowledge and understanding of you, just like 
you did for um, these disciples, Lord, on the road to Emmaus, that you open up their understanding, that you would open up the understanding here this morning and to our brothers and sisters in the United Methodist Church as well. So, Lord, that we might testify to others of who you are, so that we might not despair or be discouraged, Lord, as we wait for your return. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been reading and studying through chapter 23. It took a couple of weeks to get through chapter 23. And in those chapters, if you remember, we were told about Jesus' arrest, six different trials that he went through before being sentenced to death by crucifixion, even though, as I already mentioned, he had been declared innocent. Um, and we, we, we read of Luke's detailed account of Jesus' death, beginning with his departure from the Antonio Fortress, with the cross that he would be crucified on, tied to his back. And then we ended chapter 23 with the final words of Jesus uh, that he spoke before breathing his last breath, and then the recorded words of the Roman centurion who had witnessed it all firsthand and rightly declared how they, and I think in some sense he was he was he was declaring this as of himself, but how they or he had just crucified a righteous man. Fortunately for us, this is not where the, this is not where the story about Jesus ends. Amen? With his death on the cross. The story does not end with Jesus' death on the cross, and for our sake and for the, for the sake of our salvation, the story of Jesus cannot end at the cross. And as we read on into this last chapter, we see that Luke continues this gospel account and he closes by telling us of this amazing account of Jesus' resurrection from the grave and some of the important events that surround it. And um, I want to point out a few things before we begin to bake, break it down. John Stott, he's, a, he's an evangelist, a Bible scholar, and he once wrote this in regards to the crucifixion and, and our Christian faith. He said, listen, he said, Christianity in its very essence is a resurrection religion. Christianity in its very essence is a resurrection religion. The concept of the resurrection lies at its heart, and if you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. Timothy Keller uh, a, an American pastor, a modern-day theologian, and a Christian apologist said this. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he did not rise from the dead, then worry, why worry about any of what he has said? For the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And of course, the Apostle Paul in the Word of God, he wrote to the early Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 17, and he said, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile 
and you are still in your sins. And I read these things to us this morning just to, to illustrate how important the crucifixion is. And, and on Easter uh, on, on Easter Sunday, we, we go into depth the importance of the crucifixion. And, and I, I don't think we're so much going to do that this morning. There are other things here that I want to focus in in regards to application, but I want to I be for certain to, to, to remind us that every aspect of our faith as Christians is built up from the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, the bodily resurrection and the historical eyewitness evidence tells us that Jesus has risen from the grave and that his resurrection and his resurrection affirms to us, listen, that he is the Son of God. Okay? His resurrection, first and foremost, affirms to us that he is the Son of God, one who has power over sin and power over death, just as he claimed to be and just as he claimed he could do. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, it tells us that Jesus at one point answered the Pharisees who asked Jesus to prove to them that he was or is the Son of God. And he told them at that time, he said, the evidence I would give them for this truth, that he was the Son of God, that he is the Son of God, the evidence would be his resurrection. You can go and read that in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus' resurrection is important to us for so many reasons as a, re as a result of a foundational aspect of our faith because the resurrection proves to us that Jesus' sacrifice for our sins has been accepted. You've heard me say that before. When the, when the high priest would go into the temple on the Day of Atonement and he would bring the blood of the Lamb into the Holy of the Most Holies, we know that if the sacrifice wasn't accepted by God, if the priest hadn't gone through all the ceremonial things and the way that he was supposed to do in order to prepare himself and to bring a proper and, and acceptable sacrifice into the Holy of the Most Holies before God is what we're told in the book of Deuteronomy is that that priest would be struck down. He would die. And if the priest did not come out from the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, and show himself to be alive, then the people never knew if their sacrifice had been accepted. And, and, and because Jesus Christ came out of the grave and revealed himself to be alive, it proves that our sin has been accepted, that, that, or excuse me, that the sacrifice for our sin has been accepted. It also proves this, guys, that the work of salvation is complete. There's nothing left for us to do. It proves that the only thing left for us to do is to put our faith in Jesus. And like we talked about last week, what that means is we put our faith in him, as we believe in him, we literally rely upon him, cling to him, and trust in him. What? For the forgiveness of our sins. And the resurrection proves that the work of salvation is complete, and it proves to us that the only thing that is left for us to do is to put our faith in Jesus. In light of this, it's not, not a surprise I think that Satan has attacked the truth of the resurrection. And the very first lie as we begin to look at the Gospels and what we read here in, 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 in the Gospel of Luke and Matthew and Mark and all the others that account also the resurrection, the very first lie that Satan generated against the resurrection, according to Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 and 15, was that the disciples came to the tomb and stole the body of Jesus away. That was the very first lie. To make it seem like Jesus 
had not been resurrected. But it's hard to imagine how they could have done this since the tomb had been secured at the request of the chief priests and, 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 and by this large stone that had been rolled in front of it and that it was also guarded by two Roman soldiers. Furthermore, the biggest reason, I think, for why it's hard to believe that the disciples would take the body of Jesus and hide it in order to deceive people into believing that Jesus had been resurrected is the fact that the apostles did not believe that Jesus would be resurrected and they did not believe that he had been resurrected until they saw him with their own eyes. So, as we look back to the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 24, verse 1, we're told that on the very first day of the week, as we start to go through this chapter now, the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, it says, and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. So, the message of the gospel, the good news message, the message of the gospel rests on the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And as we look to the end of this chapter as well, we see that, that at the end of this chapter, as it is with the case in all the gospel accounts, that the apostles were sent out as witnesses with this news of Jesus' resurrection, right? It didn't just stop with Jesus' resurrection for the disciples. It was that message, that revelation, that evidence, that eyewitness testimony that they were to go out with into all the world and tell of what had happened. In light of this, Luke ends his gospel account with the report of some of these appearances of Jesus after he had been risen from the dead, after he had been raised from the dead. But we know is that the initial words of Jesus' resurrection, as we read it here, clearly that the initial words that were brought by these women brought confusion. The initial news of Jesus' resurrection brought confusion. And in the first 13 verses of this chapter, we're told that this unbelievable news was first made known to Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and the quote-unquote other women who had went to the tomb early that next day to, to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, listen, if you look at the end of the chapter 23, what we see is that there's this reference to, to these same women and to the, the, the other certain women, and, 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 and it's referencing back to the end of chapter 23. And what we know is that the end of chapter 23, these were the women who, were first of all, they had remained at the cross until Jesus' body was removed. And then they had the, the, the oils and the spices, and they were going to the tomb with, at this point, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who had requested for the body of Jesus from Pilate, and they took him to the tomb and they laid his body in the grave. But because it was so late in the day, the women didn't get the opportunity to anoint the body, the burial spices, like was custom to do so. And, and, and they were there to see him pulled off the cross, they were there to see him laid in the tomb, and they were there to see the stone rolled into place to seal the tomb. And so it was on the next day, that, that when the Sabbath had ended, on the first day of the week, that, that we read also in according to Mark chapter 16, verse 1, that, that they went to the, to the tomb. But they were worried. They were worried because they knew um, that the stone had been rolled in front of it, and they did not know how they were going to get into the tomb, and, and, and they, had, they, they, they didn't know how they were going to be able to enter in to anoint the body. 
But that didn't stop them from going. This had to be done. And so in verse 2, it tells us that then they reached the tomb. They found that the stone had been rolled away. Something they did not expect. And when they went in, they could not find the body of, uh, of the Lord Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to reference a few of the other gospel accounts to kind of bring the picture together. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 2, we're told that there was a great earthquake. And, 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 and be clear, lots of people will say that the earthquake is what moved the stone. And, and that's not the case, and according to the gospel accounts. It says there was a great earthquake. It says, as an angel of the Lord descended from the heaven, from heaven, and the one who had come, the angel of the Lord descended from heaven to come and roll the stone away. So an angel was sent from heaven, and when he came into, our, into the presence of the, of the earth as we know it, um, from the spiritual realm, there was an earthquake, and he came and he rolled the stone away. And I love what Matthew chapter 28 tells us, because this angel, I can just imagine, in Luke's gospel, there's two. And in Matthew's account, there's only one that's spoken of specifically. And, 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 um, but this guy, this angel, just takes a seat on top of the stone, and he waits. <laughs> he rolls it back, and he sits on it. And so it gives you an idea of just how large this stone possibly had to have been. And, and this angel had opened up the tomb prior to these women's arrival, and, and it allowed for them to look in and to see that the tomb was empty. Now, when the angel spoke to them, he did so to give them understanding, to give them an encouragement. Because when they saw that, that Jesus' body was missing, we were told that they were perplexed, meaning that they were in doubt. And because they were in doubt, they did not know what to do. They were perplexed. So the angel declared to them here in Luke chapter 24, verse 6, he declared to them that Jesus had risen. And in verse 7, he then went on to remind them of the words of Jesus who had previously told his disciples that he was going to be crucified and then on the third day rise again. And, and many times Jesus had spoken this message to him. We've gone over this as we've gone through the Luke's gospel account. And evidently, for this women, for these women, this was enough. This was enough for them to believe. The stone being rolled away, seeing the angel who spoke to them and told them what had happened and reaccounted the words of Jesus and what Jesus had said. And because, because it says, upon remembering the words that Jesus had spoken, they, according to verse 9, they left the tomb and they went to tell the others this good news. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 8, it tells us that they left with great joy. Great joy and ran. They ran to bring his disciples this word about Jesus' resurrection. But, this is probably what they weren't, another thing they weren't expecting. We're told that when the, 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 that when they told the apostles that Jesus was not in the tomb and the angel had told them that he had risen, that they did not believe them. In fact, the words, according to verse 11, seem to be like idle tales. Literally, what that can be translated to is to the word nonsense. They, they, they believed what these women were saying was nonsense. It seemed to them to be nonsense. But, as you can see here, of course, Peter, it didn't stop Peter from running all the way to the tomb to see for himself if what 
he had been told was true. But this doesn't mean that Peter believed at this time. And when Peter reached the tomb, we're told that he also found it empty. There was the linen cloth laying there in the tomb that had covered Jesus' body, which had been left behind. And when Peter saw these things, verse 12, it says, he went away, the word there is marveling himself at what had happened. And I'm using these words and pointing them out because, guys, these words that describe the reaction of these apostles are words that we can relate to in our own lives. Where we think and see things that are like, this seems like nonsense. Seems like it's too good to be true. It seems, it causes us to marvel. And, 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 and the doubt and the discouragement that come and the despair that can come in those, those moments when, it's, when these things are, when we feel these things in regards to what we see going on in our own lives and the world around us or in what God has shown us or what God teaches us. And so Peter is marveling. And the Greek word here for marvel is thumadzo. And it means this, just so we get a clear understanding. It means to wonder. But not just to like, Wow, that's so wonder or wonderful or amazing. It's, it's wonder into the point of questioning. I wonder what's going on here. And you can imagine Peter. Did, again, he, you know, did someone steal Jesus' body? What's going on? Did he really rise? You know, is, is there still this, this place of doubt? Wonder or to question? In other words, as we see that Peter, we're told that Peter left the tomb and marveling, he left the tomb confused confused and wondering what had happened and he in fact he questioned what he had seen even though he had been told that Jesus had risen like he had been promised now i want to i want to i want to say that i point out the fact uh, that that Jesus is the news of Jesus's empty tomb brought confusion i want to i want to point that out in order to highlight how the confusion, okay, was the fruit of unbelief. And I would even venture to say that most all the time in our own lives that confusion, spiritually speaking, is the result of unbelief. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion. He's a God of order. He's a God who brings things to light. He's a God of truth. He brings understanding. And as I, as, I, as I point that out, I also want to say I don't point this out as some kind of condemnation towards Jesus' disciples like, like, look at their unbelief. Because I'm sure that any one of us in this, in this situation, probably any one of us would have responded the same way. At least as guys. The ladies seem to have got it, guys. I don't know what that says about us. Just saying. But I don't point it as some kind of condemnation towards them because, like I said, I'm sure any one of us would have responded in the same way by wondering at the very least what had happened and considered that the explanation that was given was somewhat nonsensical. It's, in fact, it's mind-blowing. And so when we consider the response of the disciples' unbelief, even though Jesus had given them the promise of his resurrection as a comfort and as an assurance of an uncertain future, we need to remember that, that we in our own lives have been given promises. Have we not? We've been given promises. 
Promises from God that are intended to comfort us. Promises from God that are intended to assure us when things seem uncertain to us. I don't know about you, but I face uncertain things in my life. Maybe you too. And the key to receiving the comfort and the assurance that God has stored up for us, the key is to have faith. By what I read here, the key is to have faith and to believe in the words of promise that he has spoken to us. What words did the angel remind the women of? The words that Jesus had spoken to him. Listen, I'm going to rise again. That was a promise. Remember what Jesus had said. That's what he was saying to them. And when we consider the many promises of God that are given to us in, in his word and that he's spoken to us personally, guys, when we, when we reconsider those promises, we understand this. We understand, first of all, that they for our lives in the here and now, but these promises are also promises that transcend into eternity. They are promises for here and now and promises for our lives that are to come, for the life that is to come once we've passed away. So it's important for us, and, and these are two key words, it's important for us to know and remember. To know and remember what these promises are that God has spoken to us through his word. But it's also important, equally important for us to believe in these promises so we don't respond like those who have no hope and can be consumed by sorrow and can be assumed confusion when difficult or uncertain things happen to us or even in the world around us that we are now living in. Lots of times the, the, the fear or the anxiety or the confusion or the doubt in regards to what, what's going on or even the things that God has spoken to us is because we're looking at the things around us. And man, this world that we're living in right now can breed those kind of things in us Pretty quickly, when we get our eyes off the promises of God and fail to put our faith in the things that he's spoken to us. It's one thing to know and remember, because I think the disciples knew, and they were reminded of it, but it's a whole other thing to believe in them, to put faith in them, right? And we see that. And I'll be the first to confess that it's very tempting to, to look around at the things that are taking place in our lives uh, very very tempting to look around at the things that are taking place in our society and, and the, the moral decline of our nation and, and really of the world that we, we live in and lose, lose hope and, and enter into this place of despair as we, 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 we go, God, what are you doing? And we wonder. We wonder what's going on. But we must remember how Jesus had said that in the last days, in the book of Hebrews, guys, by the way, it says, if you go to the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, it says, in these last days. So I think we've been in the last days for a while, and even more so now. But in the last days, which I believe we are living in, Jesus said that this. He said, crazy and uncertain things are going to happen, and that there's going to be a moral decline, and I think we're witnessing them. And this is exactly what we see happening. And Jesus said this is what we would see happening. Nevertheless, in addition to Jesus telling us what it was going to be like in these last days, he also promised this to his disciples. 
and is handed down to us who are his disciples today. He said, don't worry, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. In spite of what you see going on, don't doubt. I'm going to be here with you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. And he has promised for those of us who love him this also, that he's going to work all things together for our good. He'll never leave us. And these are just a few of the promises, but these three that I'm going to give you this morning are, are just a basis for so many others that we read of in his word that can sustain us in our own personal lives as there's things going on on the inside, but also things that are coming at us from the outside. So he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's promised that he'll, he'll, he'll work all things together for our good. And he also promised that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that he'll always provide for all of our needs. And the bottom line is when we remember and believe in the promises of God, it'll make a difference. As we take comfort and encouragement in the things that God has told us and the things that he told us will happen and, and, and the things that he has, has spoken to us as a promise, promises that he has made to us. And if Jesus' disciples, as we, as we look at that in the context of what we read here in, in Luke chapter 24, especially in these first, first verses, I, I think it's safe to say that if Jesus' disciples would have, would have believed in the promises that they had been reminded of, the promises of the resurrection, it would have made a difference for them when things were difficult when things seemed uncertain. And so in verse 13, if you look, it says that, Behold, we pick up the story after the, the news that, that Mary and the other women had brought back to the disciples, to the apostles, is that the two of them were traveling on the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And, and verse 14 tells us that they were talking, talking together of the things that had just happened. And we know from what we read on a little bit later that they were probably some of the ones, more than likely, probably without a doubt, that had entered into Jerusalem with Jesus a, a, a week prior to this. When Jesus made his triumphal entry, they had probably been following Jesus all the way as he made his route from the Sea of Galilee region up the the. the um, that uh, road of Jericho up into Jerusalem. Uh, they had been devout followers. We know that at least by their access to the apostles and that they're in the upper room when Jesus appears to them. These guys are, are a significant bunch. And, and they're talking together. You can imagine you're walking down the road with your buddy and you're like, all of these things has happened and you're in this place now of unbelief. You're discouraged. We read this about them. And they're talking. What just happened? This didn't go as we expected. And they're leaving Jerusalem. And they're going to a village called Emmaus, and more than likely, this is their home. Or maybe the first place they're going to stop off and stay the night before they continue to go. They're heading away from everything that had just happened. And so they reasoned with themselves in verse 15. And at that point, I love it, it says at the end of verse 15, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. You get the state of mind that they're in. You get the, the, where their heart's at by what we read about them. And they're leaving. They're leaving. They're leaving the others. 
And Jesus drew near and went with them. Now, one of the evidences, I think, of the hopeless state of mind that the disciples and the apostles had is seen in these following verses where it tells us about these two who had left Jerusalem and were heading to this village called Emmaus. And in verse 13, if you look, again, it identifies these guys as, quote-unquote, simply saying, originally, two of them. The very least, these are two who had heard the news from the women. Okay, that's what it's speaking about. These two, at the very least, had at least heard the news from the women about the empty tomb and Jesus' resurrection. Everything else that I spoke about is just speculation of what they had witnessed beforehand, but that's pretty good speculation. But we know that two of them, those who had also heard the news of the empty tomb and the resurrection, but their response also was unbelief. And it was evident by their words of despair in verse 21 where they had said, and we were hoping that Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We were hoping he was going to be the Messiah, the one sent by God, the ones that the prophets had spoken of. That's what they're saying here. And even though they had heard the news of the empty tomb and the angel who had said he had resurrected and reminded them of the words of Jesus, they were still leaving. They were leaving. And they even went on to reference this promise of his resurrection, saying that it had been the third day And they explain how the women had seen the tomb and the vision of the angels. But in spite, I mean, this is mind-blowing to me. Why would you not just hang around a little bit while longer and just just see what happened? But you know what? I'm I'm these guys. I can be these guys. I'm like, cut out. I'm done. It's over. You know, unbelief can take me so quickly to that place of despair, to that place of hopelessness. But in spite of the empty tomb, in spite of the testimony of the women who had received the news from Jesus' resurrection from the angel of the Lord, here's the key. They were discouraged. It's been, it's been said that, once said that discouragement, let me if you can get this right, discouragement is the most worn weapon in Satan's tool belt. If he can discourage us, He's won a battle. And they were discouraged. And verse 24 reveals that, it, that, it, that, that, that they were discouraged because, because, that, that they, because they had not seen Jesus. That's what they said. We'd heard all these things. We know of the promises. But they said, what they say? We've not seen him. We didn't see him. In other words, they were saying this. If they had seen Jesus, they would have believed. I knew the promises I heard what they said. The, the, the tomb was empty, but we didn't see him. If we'd only seen him, we would have believed. Guys, the Bible's clear when it tells us that as disciples of Jesus, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Right? And it's not a blind faith. Okay, I want to clarify that. And you guys have heard me say that before. But the Bible makes it clear that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. What does this mean? This means for me simply this i got to break it down simple. I'm, I'm a very simple guy. It says that this means to me that we're to hold on to the promises of God in faith even when we don't see or fully understand how these promises of God will come to pass. Let me say that again. This means when, I'm, when, I'm, when we're called to walk by faith that we're called to walk 
according to and to hold on to the promises of God in faith even when we don't see or fully understand how these promises of God will come to pass. And what does that mean? We, we look at our lives and we look at the situations around us and what do we go? We go, I know what God has said, but that's impossible. It's impossible for anyone to rise from the grave. And the fact of the matter, listen, is when we walk by sight, what it means is, is this. We walk in a way that seems right to us. When we walk by what we can see, we walk in a way that seems right to us. And what does the Bible say twice in the book of Proverbs about that? There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Walking in a way that seems right to us and not by faith, which means in a way that God says is right. When we walk by faith, it's the, it's the opposite of that because we're walking in a way that God says is right in spite of what we can see or can't see. I didn't see him. And when we do this, when we walk in a way that seems right to us and rather in the way that God says is right, you know what we do? We head the wrong direction. Just like these two men who had left Jerusalem were doing. They were literally, because of unbelief, walking in the wrong direction in a way that seemed right to them. Now what we know is that even in the midst of their unbelief, okay, not just like, I don't believe, I'm just going to sit here and wait around. It's like, I don't believe and I'm out. I didn't see him. I'm out. Even in the midst of the unbelief that led to their dashed hopes and to their disappointments, Jesus, I love this, Jesus, as verse 15 points out, it says, underline this. Man, you guys, we need to remember this. We need to remember this for ourselves. Even where they were at, it says that Jesus drew near and went with them. Head in the wrong direction, in a place of unbelief, full of discouragement, full of disappointment, full of despair, hopelessness, Jesus drew near and went with them. And I don't know about you, but for me, this is a comforting thought to think that these guys had let their unbelief move them emotionally to the place of despair and even physically move them as they made their way to Emmaus and away from Jerusalem, yet Jesus didn't simply let them walk away. It's just two. These guys aren't any good anyway. I got some others back here. At least they don't believe, but they stuck around. I'll go deal with them. Jesus didn't let them walk away. Rather, as verse 15 says, he drew near and went with them. But sadly, they, they didn't even realize that it was Jesus who was walking with them. And verse 16 says that their eyes were restrained so that they did not recognize him. And again, I'd, at the risk of sounding like someone who I spoke against last week who, who takes a supernatural thing and tries to explain it away with some kind of natural explanation, I hate when that happens. God does supernatural things, and very, this could have very well have been something supernatural. But we're not told. And, and, and when I take the context of everything that we're reading here and I look at my own life and, and how I am and, and, and how others are as well, what I know is that, that the restraining of their eyes that was keeping them from being able to recognize Jesus, it, it, it could have been, probably was some, 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 something supernatural, but perhaps it was just their grief and their sorrow also. Man, I've been with people who are grieving and people who are in sorrow 
whether it's with hospice and people who are losing a loved one or whether it's in, in just, just everyday life where people are grieving over a loss or sorrowful over the, 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 even the wreckage of their life because of sin or a loved one or, or whatever. Grief and sorrow can come in a lot of different ways. And you know what it does is it, the first thing that it does is it narrows our perspective. You know, I always tell my kids whenever they're in that spot, and I've done this with others as well, I give them a quarter and I say, put the quarter here. Actually, I've taken people outside in that spot that are grieving and sorrow and they're blind to so many other things around them. And I say, put that quarter right here and look at the sun. I say, can you see the sun? No. What do you see? The quarter. Because even a small quarter, when it's placed in the wrong spot, can block out the sun. And grief and sorrow can blind us. And maybe... It was grief and sorrow that was restraining them from seeing something supernatural. Maybe it was their grief or sorrow. But guys, maybe, maybe it was this too. Maybe it was the unbelief regarding the news of Jesus' resurrection. I'm telling you right now, unbelief, spiritual unbelief, can blind. But whatever it was, it's evident that they had given up, Right? They'd given up. And in defeat, they were returning home to decide what to do next. And if the truth be told about us, I think we would all admit that we're just like these guys, just like these disciples, in that we can allow for discouragement, we can allow for disappointment to move us to this place where we want to give up in spite of the promises and the truths that we know that God has spoken to us. Yet in those times when we are feeling defeated, guys, Jesus will always draw near to us. That's what I'm being told here. He'll draw near to us and go with us. He's going to walk down that path. But like these two disciples, we often don't even realize that Jesus is with us. In the midst of that hope, in the midst of that despair, and that discouragement, we're walking and we've given up and we're thinking, oh, God's forsaken me. Where is he at this time? You know, he's right there. He's gone nowhere. He's come. He's come to you. He's walking with us. He's drawn near. And these guys didn't even realize it. And truthfully, grief and sorrow and unbelief will also blind us from realizing that Christ is always with us, walking with us. And when we, when we don't realize that he's with us, we don't realize that he's come to free us from the discouragement and the disappointment that he has come to, 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 to remove from our lives. And... and um, but nevertheless, what we know is what we see here is that with the disciples that, that, that are an example for us is that Jesus, when he comes to us, you know what he does? He builds up our faith. And in building up our faith, he opens our eyes just like he did for these guys in verse 31. It says that their eyes were open. And how did, it's because Jesus built up their faith as he walked with them. Now when Jesus came to these men, clearly it was to give them understanding. An understanding that surpassed the understanding that they had. And as they walked, they conversed about the events that had just taken place in Jerusalem, we're told. They discussed what this, these things might mean. But when Jesus finally spoke in verse 25, it says that he confronted the heart issue, telling them that they were what? Does it say there? Slow to believe in what the prophets had spoken. But Jesus was patient with them, we see, and he took them through the scriptures and he opened up their hearts to believe and he opened up their eyes to see. Those are key things. He opened up their hearts to believe and he opened up their eyes to see. 
and to know ultimately that he was with them. And it's important for us to take note of this because in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, it tells us that, that faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. And this explains why Jesus used the scriptures, we're told, to give them this understanding. And in doing so, he proved to them that he could be trusted, that they could trust in him. And when their eyes were open, they realized it was Jesus who had been with them. And then in that moment, he vanished from their sight. Consequently, I love this, they just didn't stay in Emmaus. In fact, in verse 33, it tells us that they rose up that very hour, even though it had been evening, which was not the best thing to do to go traveling this kind of distance at night at this time. And they walked the seven miles back to Jerusalem. Why? Because they wanted to tell the apostles and all those who were with them what had happened, that they'd seen Jesus. And the point is, this encounter with Jesus and the knowledge that he was alive not only changed the direction that they had been heading, it changed them. <laughs> the encounter with Jesus and the knowledge that he was alive not only changed the direction that they were that they've been heading it changed them has not is that not true with all of us because of our encounter with Jesus and knowing that he's alive that he's the risen savior the son of god not only did it change the direction you were heading it changed you it's changed me the worship team wants to come. We're going we're gonna to end with this. Um, I, oh, okay, so i got to try to summarize this last part. Um, so when they reached Jerusalem, we're told that they told the disciples about the good news that they had seen. And others at this time had also had Jesus appear to them, and that was to Peter, we're told. And then, and then um, to, to the whole here we read about as they were locked in the room from the other gospel accounts. And, and they were gathered together doors, and they were afraid. And they were afraid because they had seen what had been done to their leader. And you know what? They were afraid that it was going to happen to them. And Jesus had told them, hey, listen, guys, be prepared because uh, what, they, what they're going to do to me, they're going to do to you. He had told them, because they hate me, they're going to hate you. He said, now's the time to take swords. And we don't want to get all back into that part of it. But he comes, they're afraid, and he speaks to them and meets their need. He says, peace to you. And Jesus appeared to them to bring them a peace, a peace that, that could only come from him, knowing that, from, 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 a peace that could only come from him and from only knowing that he was alive and that he was with them. That was the peace that he was offering them. And so as we close, I want to I I summarize the crucifixion and the account that we read here with four phrases for you to meditate on, for you to go into this next week with. First of all, Jesus opens the tomb. He rises from the grave. And then you know what he does? He opens our eyes. He opens our eyes to be able to see who he is, what he's done for us, that he's with us, that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. And then he opens up our minds to understand 
so that when we live this life that we've been called to live, it's a life that can be lived with peace and joy and an assurance of the truths that God's given to us, of the promises that he's spoken to us. But lastly, as we read here with this, a shorter version of this great commission that we read about in other gospel accounts that, that, that Jesus appointed to his disciples before he ascended into heaven to go forth and to be witnesses into all of unto Jerusalem, into Samaria, into all the nations, the same, the same witness that we've received from these disciples, the same testimony that we've received from the disciples that we are now called to, 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 to be bearers of, to be truth speakers of, is that we're called to open up our mouths. And God opens up our mouths. He opens the tomb. He opens the eyes. He opens the mind, and he opens our mouth. And we have to be those who are willing, like these disciples that ran back, to go and share of the good news that we've received of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. That he's alive. And he's made himself known to us. Because there is no peace apart from knowing that Jesus is alive. Receiving him as your Lord and as your Savior. And walking with him. So I encourage you, I challenge you again this morning to open your mouth, to go forward into your community, into our community, to your friends, to your families, to your neighbors, to those you know who still have not yet received and not believed, and share how your encounter with Jesus Christ has changed your life, how he's opened up your eyes, how he's opened up your heart, how he's opened up your mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for these truths. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the evidence of showing yourself to so many to be alive. These eyewitness testimonies, these accounts that we have, Lord, that remind us that we don't have to live in the place of despair any longer. We don't have to live in hopelessness any longer. That we have hope because of you, hope in you. And Lord, I pray we would be encouraged once again today. And I pray for anyone here, Lord, who has been discouraged by the things of this life, by their own sin, maybe even. By things that happen to them or around them. And I pray, God, that you would remind them of the promises that you've spoken to them and that they would believe that we would believe and trust in you. That we would receive them and that, would, Lord, would open up hearts and minds, Lord, to follow after you closely and to tell others of the great things that you've done in our lives. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.